Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. I'm Jerry Boyer. Thank you for listening to Meeting of Minds podcast. My guest today is Treasurer John Moranti. Uh, he is the treasurer of the state of Nebraska. Uh, he had a fascinating article recently um, at Capital Matters, uh, sponsored by my good friend uh, David Bonson, who got that started, uh, and edited by my friend Andrew Stutterford. Um, Capital Matters is the finance page of National Review Online. Uh, and um, Treasurer Moranti's article is ESG Investing Hurts the Poor and Empowers Tyrants. Uh, Treasurer Moranti, thanks for joining us on Meeting of Minds. Thanks so much for having me. So one of the things that I have been delighted to see, um, really, uh, mostly in the past year, maybe go back a little bit further than that, is that you've got all these you know, constitutional officers, uh, sometimes they're called row officers, uh, people know their governor, right? They know their senator, probably. But there are all these offices. They they're not. They don't get a lot of attention. Um, they're not considered sexy offices. Maybe attorney general a little bit. Um, uh, some of them are sort of like green eye shade. You know, they're almost they're almost like accounting functions, like treasurers and controller and auditor general. And people go into who went into these offices to essentially be good financial stewards you know, to get the debits and the credits right, to do the due diligence that's part of finance, detail work. And they found themselves in an onslaught of politicization of capital. They didn't go there to fight it. They're just trying to, you know, do the accounting properly. And all of a sudden they're under pressure and their states are being ranked negatively on political grounds by S&P. And they have these um, um, environmental social governments um, restrictions being pushed down on them or somebody's harvesting their ballots. You know, like a BlackRock is voting the opposite way in values. And so these officers... I, and I, I would include you in this list, and, and Marlo Oaks and Allison Ball and others basically said, wait a minute, I, I, we have an obligation to the um, taxpayers of our state and to the pension holders of our state to advocate for their good, and that means fighting against the politicization of capital. And I, I don't know if anyone had that on their bingo card <laughs> for 2022, but it's been one of the most important uh, um, issues in um, ESG and politicization of capital, really, probably in, the, in a decade. So um, anyway, that's, it's not really a question, John. It's just uh, kind of uh, pointing out how I've been kind of in awe of how this has happened. Uh, any comments on that? Sure. Well, it, it happened. I think that's accurate analysis, and it happened very quickly. I, I was first elected to be Nebraska's state treasurer four years ago, uh, and in in that campaign, the term ESG did not come up a single time. I didn't get a single question from uh, any voter out there. Um, there were no candidate surveys asking me what what my position on the subject was. Quite frankly, if you'd asked me back then, what's what's ESG investing, I probably would have said it's a 
you know, it's a way of investing that kind of left-leaning individuals who want to kind of think of themselves as socially conscious and socially aware. That's how they choose to invest their own money. That's probably how I would have described it. Uh, but it, it, it really wasn't until the Biden administration took office where we started seeing immense amounts of pressure being put on financial institutions uh, to uh, to get those financial institutions to not lend uh, to uh, uh, American energy, coal, uh, oil, and natural gas, uh, and deprive those companies of access to capital. And it was really my uh, uh, my colleague Riley Moore, the, the state treasurer of West Virginia, who became the first state treasurer to start uh, calling up his colleagues from around the country and saying, "Hey, we've got." financial institutions that are working kind of hand in glove, uh, whether they want to or not, with uh, the Biden administration to bankrupt the biggest industry in my state. We all need to stand together on this one. And uh, a group uh, called the State Financial Officers Foundation, which is a group of free market, limited, government-minded state treasurers and auditors from around the country, uh, got together and really started talking about what are we going to do about the, uh, the way that public finance, the capital, uh, is being politicized? Because it's not a matter of it's not a matter anymore of kind of wealthy, left leaning individuals spending their own money or investing their own money how they see fit. What we're seeing is other people's uh, money. They're other th- people's money yeah. was being used for uh, politicization and weaponization. And, and that's what, where we had to take some action. So I sort of talk about it as, as if we saw, uh, uh, formed a, a NATO-like alliance, that a, a, an attack on one of our state's economies was an, it would be an attack <laughs> on all of our state's economies. Uh, what is that, Article the, 5 or Section 5? You know, we, right? we trigger Article 5. You go after <laughs> We may not have a a piece of coal in the state of Nebraska, but if you go after West Virginia's uh, coal industry, we just assume you're coming for Nebraska's cows and our corn next. So, uh, Well, and they uh, are because almost every proposal that I've seen on the ballot for the past two years um, that is addressing climate change has been the pushing for scope three emissions um, right. uh, uh, accounting. What does that mean? It means not you're burning the coal, right? It means it's not. So it's like, are, are you an energy company? Well, if you're an energy company, you're, you know, you're using fossil fuels. Okay. Uh, okay. Maybe you're a financial company and you're lending to somebody who's doing that, right? They're a client of yours. Oh, all right. Well, so we're going to track that. Oh, no, that's not enough. Now we want you to track your cut. So you might be an energy company or a fertilizer producer or whatever, we want you to track downstream, both upstream and downstream in the supply chain. So not only are you responsible for your carbon emissions, you're responsible for your customers' carbon emissions. So if cows are burping methane, that is, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a mark against you. That's a negative flag for your ESG score. And we need to, I don't know, do away with the cows? Do we need to kill all the cows in order to make them happy? Um, so what, what's happening is a lot of energy use goes downstream into agriculture. Scope three is pulling food security. Scope three is pulling agriculture into it and thereby threatening food security, um, uh, by trying to impose these ESG standards on these companies. 
That's absolutely correct. And the what we've seen in Europe and Sri Lanka is uh, some of these ESG policies are being passed legislatively. There are governments who are going all in on the idea that uh, agriculture, we can continue to grow food uh, without fertilizer uh, and, and water for that matter, and that uh, animal agriculture should just be done. And, and as, as ridiculous as it sounds, when people like Bill Gates come out and say we need to transition away from eating steak and, and transition to eating insects, as asinine as that sounds to normal people, they're serious about it. They really think that that is what it's going to take uh, to, to solve the earth uh, and to solve climate change and to save the earth. And I find that as a Nebraskan, you will find fewer people on earth who care more about the environment and are better stewards of the land than farmers and ranchers. And to hear people like Bill Gates make such ridiculous statements about farming and ranching and, and the theoretical harm that it's doing to the environment while they fly on their private jets to Davos to, to talk about uh, climate change and saving the world, it's, it's, it's maddening. Yeah. And, you know, people think that's an exaggeration. There's the old, like, live in the pot, eat the bugs refrain. But, I mean, that's, that's, for, that's for real. You know, um, I mean, my solution is, you know, we keep chickens. My, my chickens live in the pod and eat the bugs. And then, <laughs> you know, we can eat the chickens. <laughs> so I'm okay with the bug eating just so long as it goes through an animal first. They turn, they turn it into meat for me or at least eggs, you know, then, we're, then I'm good. Um, so it, there's this weird, it's, it's, it's a kind of a religion. It's a Malthusian religion. Um, it is, it's apocalyptic. So that's, you know, religions have an apocalyptic, all religions have some kind of end of the world scenario, right? Um, this, so does this one. So does Gaia worship. Um, and it has its own dietary code. It's really strange. Of course, they don't live by it. But, um, they might make a living. Like a lot of these people, they're talking their book because they put enormous money into like vegetarian meat, co you know, companies, which, you know, Burger King doesn't seem to be able to sell this stuff. Um, so they keep trying to push this down on top of us, this quote unquote sustainability agenda, um, which is so deeply anti-human. And we can say it's anti-American and it is, but it's anti-human uh, to see the to see us as the problem on Earth rather than the Earth being here for our benefit, um, which is more the, the Judeo-Christian worldview approach to this. Um, and um, people are obviously revolting against it. But here's the thing. They can revolt against it all they want. But if, if BlackRock or Vanguard are voting their shares in the opposite way from their values and lobbying these companies in the opposite way from their values, until we as shareholders reassert our rights and actually use our authority, we can be as mad as we want. We can have outrage at a distance and go on Tucker and complain. But you have to actually do something. And that's what shareholders, some shareholders have been doing. That's kind of my side of things. And that's what you treasurers have been doing. You're actually doing something with teeth. You're saying, we are your customers. You are not going to do this to us to any us anymore, or we won't be your customers anymore. That's right. And I, I think it's a, a couple of points there. I, I think your analysis that, um, uh, especially at the high end, they really don't believe in any of this stuff, right? Like if you really believe that climate change is going to cause the the oceans to to 
uh, raised by 10 feet, you wouldn't be buying beachfront property, right? That, that, right. That's, that's, if you really believe that, you would not actually go out and buy uh, beachfront property, which is, of course, what President Obama did. You wouldn't have a private island, right? Right. You, would, you wouldn't be doing these things. Martha's you really Vineyard. You wouldn't, be, uh, you wouldn't have a nice place in Martha's Vineyard. Yeah, but the, and the and exactly correct. The the ca- catastrophizing though really causes dangerous psychology. There's a reason why young liberals are have been um, identified as being uh, the the highest group of uh, incidents of mental health. And when you have uh, young college professors, uh, we just had one last year in Nebraska who testified that. She really doesn't care about the return on her retirement account. She has a retirement account. She doesn't care about the return because she's not going to live to see retirement age anyway. So what difference does it make how the state of Nebraska would invest her portfolio? She really, in her heart of hearts, believed that it was more important uh, to make sure that her portfolio was not invested in any sort of oil and gas and contributing to climate change that and and, the, and her rationale was that she wasn't going to live long enough to ever see retirement anyway. And that just it's it's demoralizing. Uh, it, it, it's catastrophizing. It's not even based in in any sort of uh, realm of of the real. But that's what folks are saying, and it's it's really it's really tragic. And it's psychological child abuse. Yes, I mean, uh, I, I, no, it's, go ahead. No, you go ahead, please. Um, it, it's uh, I mean. It is causing a mental health crisis. It's shocking how many young people have believed in the most histrionic, hyperbolic predictions. Um, I guess they didn't lead, they didn't live through the other predictions that never came true. <laughs> and it's, I guess, fear is a great motivator. I mean, they're almost like it's almost like Puritan ministers from three hundred years ago, you know. Um, except, you know, they don't believe in God. You know, so was it Jonathan Edwards? Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, I guess what we, we're capitalists in the hands of an angry goddess, um, and you you better obey her, or you're going to burn. Um, and I I don't know. I I probably that 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 professor probably believes it, but the people who are pushing that and are green energy billionaires and are investing in fake meat. Um, and you know, the, the, you know, turning bugs into food or whatever. I don't know what they believe. It doesn't even, doesn't really even matter what they believe. They just understand that fear is a great motivator, but I think what they hadn't counted on shareholders starting to stand up. Uh, I think about my f- friend, Justin Danhoff, who's been doing this for like 10 years. Um, but he was alone, right? Or not totally like almost alone, but my uh, friend, Tom Strobar, who's been doing this for 25 years, but it was, there was like one or two people. Basically, we didn't show up, and the other side did show up. And then at one point, conservatives, and not even just conservatives, center-left people um, uh, who don't want corporations involved with this, woke up and saw that the the corporations had been ideologically captured, um, and then say, well, there's no hope, um, when it's not a situation that we went out and played the game and lost, it's more of a situation of for 30 years, we didn't show up for a single ball game and everyone was a loss by forfeit. So the other side got used to that and they got so far out over their skis that they started pushing things that are so beyond the pale, 
like abortion in the name of risk management, for example, uh, would be would be one of them, or complete decarbonization. And they didn't count on the blowback, which they're seeing from kind of the broad middle of the country at the shareholder level. And they didn't count on you and Allison Ball and Marlo Oaks and, and Riley and, uh, you know, Stacey Garrity and all the rest of them. They, they just did not count on you standing up and saying, no, we took an oath to our constitution. We have a, a moral obligation. We have a fiduciary obligation under common law and under American law. And we didn't ask for this fight. You asked for this fight, but we're in it now. I think that they just didn't see that coming. Um, and uh, so that's why I think we're seeing ESG collapse like the bubble that it was. Bubbles collapse quickly, and they collapse when just a small number of people have the guts to say, oh, no, uh-uh, here's a pin. <laughs> Let's see how vulnerable this thing really is. Yeah, I think that's right. And, um, you know, from our perspective, it's it, it, as conservatives and and, um, and most of us are Republicans, um, there's always been a, a reticence to sort of built into our DNA against market regulation, um, ensuring that the government's not interfering with how corporations operate. Um, and and those are good values. The difference when we're talking about state treasures and the decisions that we are making is that we're not market regulators. We don't have the ability to come in and tell any asset manager or financial institution how they need to run their business. Our job is simply to say we are market participants. We're here as uh, the, the elected representatives of our constituents and we are solely interested in their best financial interest in their best financial interests, and that's it. We're not engaging in politics before this ESG stuff. You never heard any sort of shareholder proposals by Republican state treasurers for corporate boards to take what you might consider to be conservative policy uh, uh, positions on shareholder votes. That just never happened. It was when they the the left went way too far. Uh, where we just said we can't do business anymore uh, with entities that are going to take our money, the deposits of the taxpayers of our states, and use them to politicize and be weaponized against our constituents and the industries which which run our state. It's antithetical to our duties uh, under the Constitution to, to always act in the best interests of our uh, constituents and it has uh, really, we just start, we do everything that we can to make sure that the dollars and the assets that are under our management are dealt with in a way that is completely apolitical um, and and we're committed to that. You're not regulators, you're customers. So what I've <laughs> seen coming from out from some of the group like BlackRock, um, I, and again, I'm really foolish, you know, accusing some of the state treasurers of being anti-market um, um, in these actions, well, wait a minute, you, you're, you're part of the market, right? You're not anti-market. A customer isn't anti-market when they say no to your product. They're just anti your product because it's become inferior, uh, because it's, um, it's using, it's taking their voice from them, um, and using it for political ends that they don't want. So when you go out there and you invest with these companies, Part, a shareholder gets dividends, they get the right to resell, and they get a vote, right? And if a BlackRock comes along and essentially takes your vote 
and uses it in a way that's antithetical to your interest, then they have given you an inferior product. And what should a market participant do? What should a customer do except reject an inferior product? Um, and that's not anti-market. That's the market speaking. They just don't like what the market's saying right now in terms of uh, their attempt to uh, – they, they shoved ESG down the throats of uh, investors, including uh, treasurers, you know, state, um, state uh, pension managers, and they spat it out. Well, you, don't, you, you, know, you want to deal with that problem? Cook up something better that we don't want to spit out. And it, it, it's not even rational. I, I, I recall having a, a conversation with a relationship manager from a financial institution, um, and, and, and at the relationship management level, as you might imagine, they're all opposed to this this sort of stuff. You know, they they just want to make their clients happy, and the clients are the states, and and do the the ordinary business of banking and and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, you know, I asked the question, why on God's earth would I ever deposit money into a bank that is openly stating they are trying to bankrupt the industries which drive the state of Nebraska? Because even if you're not in farming or agriculture, it's not like if you take uh, animal agriculture away from Nebraska or you take coal away from West Virginia, that the impact stops at the farmer that you put out of business or the coal miner who no longer has a job. You bankrupt the entire state. Your pension system right. goes into disarray. Your general, your tax proceeds uh, plummet. At any sort of financial uh, interest that the people have uh, gets is devastated. And so, why would any rational, even if even if you take the the politics and the <laughs> and a uh, the fiduciary obligation and set it aside for a second and you say, why would we give money to an institution that's using that money to attack our own people? It, it, it doesn't even make any sense. Uh, but that's what's happening. Well, the relationship managers aren't in charge, right? Right. They're in charge of selling it to you. They're not in charge of product development. But I do wonder how much they could be allies in this process. <laughs> you know, um, like this, the salesperson almost is like a mediator between the customer uh, and the production department. So, and obviously some of that feedback has been getting through, right? And also, you know, through shareholder engagement, that's been happening and negative media. I guess, you know, it's irrational, right? But it, it is a religion, right? It's just not one of the good ones, <laughs> Uh, it's a, it's a coercive authoritarian uh, apocalyptic religion. So, if if Larry Fink thinks he's saving the world, then you know rational um, analysis is kind of beside the point. This is this source of meaning. You know, I, I'm, I'll give you an example. I think I mentioned to you that I just sat in on the Microsoft meeting, and there was a proposal from a conservative group that said, we want you to look at the um, a rigorous cost-benefit analysis of your diversity, equity, inclusion uh, policy, right? Um, and uh, because there was some pretty toxic, or reports at least, of some pretty toxic CRT-type um, uh, you know, um, training out there. And it might be demoralizing to some members of the workforce of Microsoft if they're told that they are inherently racist, and there's nothing they can do to change that. Just shut up and listen, right? So obviously Microsoft Board uh, opposed it. But one of the reasons they gave for opposing it was that um, they believed that the advocate of this proposal was skeptical about diversity and inclusion. 
But we as a board have a strong conviction in this matter. So they rejected a proposal asking for analysis because the proponent was skeptical. Skepticism itself was a disqualifying factor, right? Um, So, uh, you know, if someone goes to my church and says, look, we want to do a cost-benefit analysis of the Nicene Creed, I can see us saying, no, we're not going to do that. You know, Uh, we believe it. Uh, You know, we believe in God the Father Almighty. That's where we are, right? Or someone goes to synagogue and says, we want you to do the pros and cons of the Shema. They're probably not going to say, no, we're not doing the pros and cons of the Shema. We're going to recite it. Um, Or the Shahada, you know, in a mosque, right? But these institutions are essentially saying we will not accept, or at least this institution said, we will not accept a proposal to critically examine the possibility of backlash to our DEI because it's coming from a skeptical point of view. And we have a conviction. We have faith, in other words, in this. And we don't want any tough questions asked. Uh, So it, it doesn't make logical sense, but in some sense it makes psychological sense uh, once someone is this ideologically and kind of almost religiously committed to this sort of thing. I agree. It is a new sort of secular religion um, <clears throat> that's that's very pervasive in corporate uh, America. And when you're talking about things like uh, businesses paying for the travel for abortion and, and providing abortion services, but but not doing the same with any sort of uh, prenatal care necessarily or fertility treatment or adoption or anything like that right that's that that to me is a, a very radical uh, position to take but at the end of the day as the state treasurer my uh, my view of those sort of proposals is explain to me how you Microsoft getting in the business of abortion makes the your business more po- profitable and therefore makes my constituents, uh, in, in improves their pension plan, uh, it, it, and they can wrap it around any sort of the uh, the the buzzwords that they've invented, like long term sustainability and reputational risk and things like that. But at the end of the day, it's pretty clear that it's to placate a, a very vocal, hostile minority of their workforce, and maybe even uh, a, a, a Twitter uh, a Twitter mob. Uh, and it immunizes them uh, in a lot of ways against uh, what are actually uh, uh, business practices that um, uh, are um, objectionable to begin with, but are very difficult to actually correct hmm. for. So, you know, Apple and using child labor in China, that's a difficult problem for Apple to correct for. But coming up with a diversity, equity, inclusion plan, that's that's pretty easy. Yeah, it's just it, words, it, right? Just empty words. Or, you know, how many employees are getting abortions, so how big is the reimbursement? But it's, it's you know, it's symbolic. Um, it's objectionable. And I, I'll, I'll probably almost everyone listening right now it would be appalled by this. But guess what? I looked at the analysis for these abortion resolutions, and there are big institutions that have a lot of conservative shareholders that voted for these. I mean, one of them almost passed, and that's not retail shareholders, you know. Um, so, it's like the Black Rocks, the Vanguards, the State Streets. Um, you know, if your money is with them, you got to ask how are they voting, and they don't really tell people. I mean, I had to look up the NPX form; it's buried in the bowels, you know, of the Securities and Exchange Commission. So we can object to this, uh, but. If someone's ballot harvesting, 
um, then we could we might be objecting. It's like it's kind of like you know you watch TV and you're mad about something in, in the election, and then you talk about it and you're outraged, and then you go down and you vote, you know, down at the polling place, and somebody doesn't like your vote, and they say, well, what they really should have done is voted for the other guy, and they switch your vote. We've in essence we've delegated voting to to institutions which in many cases disagree with us. Um, so it's a system in which these aggregators have enormous power. But you guys blowing the whistles on them now makes them have to defend their use of that power. And, uh, you know, as a citizen, I thank you for that. You and Riley Moore and Allison and uh, <laughs> and uh, Marlo and all and Derek Kreifels at State Financial Officers Foundation for, um, you know, running this organization. Um, I, I'm grateful for it because I think um, I don't I don't think that the course would have reversed without without the constitutional row officers stepping up this this year. I think you're right. And, uh, and, and I think the attorneys general have also been on it, making sure that um, the, the tough questions are getting asked of the, the black rocks of the world as to whether uh, they're in breach already of their fiduciary obligations. Uh, and, I, and I think it's probably worth noting some of the uh, success stories that we've had. I mean, we've already seen about six billion dollars uh, divested from BlackRock due to their uh, politicization of uh, uh, of the people's money. Yes, uh, we've seen. I just uh, wish against- a little bit more of it was equity rather than <laughs> than overnight paper, which wasn't <laughs> a lot of the. I, I I hate to be the you know the guy who's I hate to be uh, you know the the downer here, but a lot of this divestment is from money market accounts. I'm glad to sure. see it. But I would hope I hope we see more divestment from where the actual voting is taking place with equity. But I apologize. I'm just I'm one of these people who's hard to satisfy. Um, and I think there'll be <laughs> I think there'll be more of that in the future. And it is a good start because at least those are revenues that BlackRock doesn't get, and that's a signal to BlackRock. Um, and but by the way, Vanguard's voting record on on um, energy was worse last year than BlackRock's. They're voting more anti-fossil fuel than BlackRock. Uh, so, and I don't happenstance. I think BlackRock kind of f- felt the pain, and I wouldn't call it on their best behavior, but um, uh, at the very least, uh, made some course corrections. And at least Vanguard now they dropped out of yes. GFAN, the international uh, organization that commits financial institutions to using all of their assets under management to uh, making the world get to net zero by by. 2050 and abiding by the Paris Climate Accords and other political questions, which um, really have no place in the world of public finance. Um, and uh, 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 another good example is the state of West Virginia. Uh, they're, they're, Riley Moore, their state treasurer, put together a boycott list of uh, uh, financial institutions that the treasurer's office just wouldn't do business with because they're uh, uh, so aggressively attacking the coal industry and the, and, and the people of West Virginia. And the initial list had uh, six financial institutions on it. They then ran a a 30-day appeals process. And U.S. Bank, a a very large bank, as you know, uh, reversed course and said that they would not any longer discriminate um, against the coal industry. So they they are back in business in the state of West Virginia, and that's a very good thing. And it's a sign of the, the, the good, the force for good that can happen when your financial officers are looking out for your best interests and, and, and just won't allow uh, 
the dollars under management to be politicized. Yeah, I, I think we've made tremendous progress, and this is going to sound counterfactual, but one of the reasons I think is that um, um, last year I, I helped vote on something like 20,000 proposals, right? 4,000 were shareholder proposals. There were these pro-abortion proposals. There were a lot of net zero proposals, lots of them. Everyone that I tracked failed. So it failed, but I think there's something that we miss here. Every proposal was a failed negotiation. These activists, the as you sows and the rest of them, they, if they put a proposal on the ballot, it's because they couldn't get the company to give in. So they propose something. The company says, well, what's it going to take to get that proposal dropped? And then there's a negotiation. And if the activist gets enough, they drop the proposal. Well, all of those net zero proposals that we saw and all those decarbonization proposals and all these debanker proposals we saw meant that the activists didn't get what they wanted out of management. They failed to lobby they failed to get what they wanted through lobbying, so they had to go to a referendum, you know, initiative referendum type process, and then lost. So last year was a good year in terms of proxy voting from from me looking kind of inside the detail. I think we're, we're doing pretty well. Now, we need to do better, change the conversation. I think we're just getting started, but I, I think you're right. It's mostly been success. I think so, too, and I don't think you're going to see the state treasurers backing down anytime soon. We, we saw legislation... Uh, in, in, I believe, four or five different states last year. I suspect that number is going to increase substantially. I think you're going to see state treasurers uh, across the country more empowered to do the sorts of things that, that we're doing. Um, uh, we saw, a, 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 I believe we had a net pickup of, of six financial officers in the last election who uh, will now take, uh, are now committed to taking these sort of ESG questions very seriously and taking a critical look mm. uh, at whether finances under management are being politicized in, in their states. So the, 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 the news of more money being divested and uh, more banks that are being kind of put on notice that you can't uh, politicize and weaponize um, our deposits, basically, um, I, I think we're going to see more and more momentum. And as uh, the momentum builds, more states are going to jump on board, and 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 that's going to be a very good thing. This is what happens when an elected official takes his or her oath of office seriously. You know, they they, they take an oath before God to uphold uh, the Constitution, uh, to um, safeguard the citizens, um, and you know that whether you ask for the fight or not, you take that oath. When the fight comes to you, you then you fight it, um, and um, it's been a delightful thing to see. Uh, so anything else you want to say before we say goodbye, Treasurer Morante? I've really enjoyed our conversation together. Well, the, uh, just first of all, thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, uh, you know, I just finished up my term as the as the national chairman of the State Financial Officers Foundation. Uh, again, the, the a group of uh, free market, limited government minded treasurers and auditors around the country. And I can just assure all of your listeners that the, the members of our organization are singularly focused on making sure that the the money that we are managing uh, is being managed in a way that is not political, that is apolitical, and it's in the best financial interests of our constituents. And that's really the only thing we're concerned about. And it's the only thing you should be. Thank you very much, Treasurer Moranti. I'm Jerry Boyer. You've been listening to Meeting of Minds podcast.